Thank you, Charlotte. I encourage you through biblical understanding, but also through personal experience, don't hope in the wrong thing. Understand what hope is. Because if you don't understand what hope is, hope's going to let you down. At least you're going to think it's going to let you down. Don't hope in the wrong thing. There's things all over this world and, and even people we come in contact with where if we put our hope in these things, it's going to let us down. We'll feel empty. We'll feel confused. We'll feel as though we do not have direction. So I encourage you, don't put your hope in the wrong thing. A couple years ago, I don't remember how long it was, but uh, we, we did a series on different songs that we sing in, uh, at Christmas time. And while this is not a series on those songs, some of the lyrics still hold true. One song in particular, you know, you've heard this before, Long lay the world in sin and error, pining, pining for something. Desiring something, needing something, wanting something. Long lay the world in sin and error pining until he appeared and the soul felt its worth. We began to realize, began to see the value that each one of us has. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Maybe you've heard the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom, buy back, ransom, captive Israel. All of these things are talking about, projecting, thinking about hope, hope that takes us from today through tomorrow, but we need to make sure we hope in the proper things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again today that we can have hope. And with that hope, we have joy and peace and all of these other wonderful results of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We ask, Father, that you'll help us today to truly understand what it is we hope in so that our hope continues, so that it doesn't let us down, so that we continue to worship you, to to look forward to who you are, what you are, the work you have for us in our lives. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in Luke chapter 2, and so you can turn with me to Luke chapter 2 if you'd like, but we'll be jumping back and forth through a lot of verses, uh, just like last week as we talked about joy. This week we talked about hope. And uh, those verses, of course, will be on your screen. From last week, I just want to recap a little bit. And there were shepherds, this is Luke 2, starting in verse 8 through verse 11. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. 
But the angel said to them, and Cliff has already mentioned this, do not be afraid. Don't be scared. Don't be terrified. Be the opposite of afraid. Be the opposite of terrified. Be filled with joy. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah of the Lord. That's the good news. And that's what ought to bring joy to every person in this room. It's not going to bring you any joy, though, if you don't examine your life. Remember, if you treat the salvation of Jesus Christ like a wage that you have earned, it's not going to bring you joy. Your wage doesn't bring you joy. Your wage is just a trade-off for your time. That's all it is. It's a gift. It's a gift that you and I have been given. And that gift ought to instill joy as we look upon our lives and we realize that we're not perfect. And yet somehow, in some way, we get to live forever. I don't know what this looks like, but I know it's good. We get to live forever in the presence of a perfect God. That's a gift. And it ought to bring joy to each of us. Real joy comes from knowing that no matter what this world throws at you, you have victory through Jesus Christ. Good days, bad days, hard days, easy days, an underlying gladness that ought to be in our lives, no matter where you find yourself. Certainly as we begin to realize our value and our purpose, as we begin to realize that we are loved so dearly, so dearly that we live eternally with Jesus because He wants us. Loved or hated by man, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change the fact that heaven awaits those who have accepted the gift of Jesus Christ. And by the way, when we accept the gift of Christ, when we have slogged it out through a fallen world, that's what we live in right now. There's a lot of problems, isn't there? I'm sure I'm not the only one in this room that faces a lot of problems, a lot of difficulty. Once we've slogged it out through a fallen world, we see Jesus face to face. And only then will we fully know as we are fully known. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see, this is you and me, now we see only a reflection, only a reflection, the shadow of who we really are. Then we will see face to face. Now I know, says Paul, now I know only in part right now, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Perhaps joy still eludes you if you fixate on your accomplishments or your failures or comparing yourselves to other people. If that's the case, you still don't understand. You still don't understand this well of joy. Let me, let me sort of paraphrase what Paul's talking about here. You've heard me say this before. You don't know you yet. You haven't even met you yet. And, and from everything I can tell, everything that my God tells me, when you actually do meet you, it's going to be pretty great. Even you're going to be wowed by yourself. You will fully know who you are, what you are, what you're meant to be. Because of the life you've given to Jesus Christ. All you know right now is a reflection, a shadow of the real thing. So don't give up on joy when you haven't even begun real life yet. Real life is yet to come. 
Let perseverance finish its work. Let perseverance finish its work. Sometimes we look at our lives and it's hard for us to find joy because we haven't let the perseverance finish its work. It's like watching a building go up. Theron builds buildings. It's, it's, it's like walking onto a job site and looking at the, before the building's even done. Look at Theron saying, this is a mess. This is a wreck. Who would want that? He looks at you and he laughs. He says, it's not done yet. It's not done yet. This is your life. Sometimes it's easy for us to look at this life and say, this is a mess. This is a wreck. Where's my joy? And the very word of God says, you're not done yet. You're not done yet. We got a lot more to go. Don't give up your joy now. Let perseverance finish its work. Let it build that house. That's the recap. And now, this week, I want to continue on in Luke 2, starting in verse 12. This will be a sign to you, say the angels to the shepherds. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. We're going to talk about that line in a couple of weeks. The Sunday immediately following Christmas, we're going to talk about that line and what that actually means. But look at verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. My question is, why? Why would they go? What causes the shepherds to leave where they are, leave the, leave the field, perhaps even leave their flock, and go to Bethlehem? I, it's not far, but let's say it's two, three, five miles. What causes them to make the journey? For that matter, what caused the Magi to travel almost a thousand miles, roughly 900 miles, following a star? Hmm? You think that was a small undertaking? We're not talking about hopping in the car. We're not, we're not talking about getting on an airplane. We're talking about completely rearranging your life, getting together over a long period of time, a huge caravan that's going to travel from one country to another 1,000 miles. Following what? A star. That's it. The shepherds. The shepherds are about ready to do one of two things. Either take on a lot of difficulty or take a great risk. It's either going to be a lot of difficulty getting all the herds and flocks that they're taking care of and ushering them into town to see this thing. Or they're going to take a great risk, which is leave the herds and flocks to the wolves and the bears and everything else and just themselves go in and see this thing in Bethlehem. What causes Somebody to do that. What causes Anna to keep prophesying? What causes Simeon to keep prophesying, wanting to see the face of Jesus Christ? What continues to make them go over and over and over and over and over again? After all, what are the odds that this thing is real? That's what we say. It's never happened before. Why would it happen now? I don't have any proof of this. We talk about Jesus loving us and forgiving us. I've seen enough to know of life to know that you can't get something for nothing. That's what we'll say. Maybe we'll say it's a long way off or it's too hard or it may not be what I expected or I'll look silly or no one will believe us or I'll just be disappointed when I find out that it isn't true. Why did they leave the fields and go 
to Bethlehem to see this thing. Some people say it's because the angels told them to. I think you need to reread that passage. The angels said no such thing. They told them about it. They gave them some news. They gave them some evidence. But then the the shepherds had to decide whether or not they were going to act on it. This trek was not the result of a command. It wasn't the result of, of obligation that they were feeling or fear. What causes someone to hear the evidence and respond? The answer is hope. Hope. And if you don't have any hope, then you don't understand who Jesus is. First of all, I want to look, we've talked about this at length over the years, I suppose, but just as a reminder, I want to look at what hope is not. What hope is not. We did that with joy. What joy is not. This is what hope is not. Hope, and we, we mess this up, or at least we use it incorrectly. I don't know if we mess it up in our own minds, but, but we use it incorrectly all the time. Hope is not blind luck or a shot in the dark. That's not what hope is. By definition, that's not what hope is. By scriptural example, it's not what hope is. We think hope is wishing to have something that we may never get. That's what we think hope is. I hope this or I hope that. Everything's gone, everything's lost. I hope this or hope that. You know, the, 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 the target's out there somewhere. And what are we going to do? We're going to show up and just shoot wildly and blindly. We might hit it. We might not. Either way, I think the odds are against us. And that's what we relegate hope to. And so when we read about the power of hope and how important hope is, we say to ourselves in our minds, that doesn't make any sense. It's not that powerful in my life. It's not that important in my life. I hope on things all the time that I never see and never realize. You know, I'm I'm reminded, when we think of hope that way, I'm reminded of the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 9. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly or like a boxer beating the air. It's kind of the way we we treat hope sometimes. Something's out there somewhere. I really can't define it or have any idea what it is. But I really, really, really wish it happens. That's not hope. So stop using it in that way. There's nothing left. There's no goal, no direction, no certainty, no hope. Everything's fallen apart. I see no possibility for victory. You ever put yourself in this position? Everything's falling apart. I see no possibility for victory. I don't stand a chance in whatever it is, but I still have hope. No, you don't. No, you don't. If that's your mentality, you don't have hope. All you've got is chance. That's it. And then suddenly, you don't have a goal or an objective. At that point, all you're doing is trying to exist, and you're serving as a pawn as creation passes you by. A shot in the dark is no hope at all. What is hope? Hope is this, by definition, confident expectation. Confident expectation. It's the way we ought to and can use it today, and it's the way it is used in Scripture, confident expectation. You see, church hope, in its correct definition, has an object or an objective. Hope has a goal. In other words, 
Hope has a finality to it. There is a thing or a something or a place I'm going to reach and I'm going to be and I have every expectation that this is going to happen. That's hope. Not a shot in the dark. Hope is knowable. It's definable. You know, I've received Christmas cards before. And I've received them from all over, so don't take this personal. But sometimes, right, you get a Christmas card and on the front it says hope, right, with a tree or dove, something, you know. It says hope. Almost every time I want to open it and flip it around, hope in what? Hope in what? By definition, the word hope means nothing. It's a useless, senseless word. If there's no subject, no object, no goal, nothing to define it. Hope in something. Or hope in someone. And it's not just hope in something or someone. It is absolute, confident expectation that this person's going to come through, or this thing's going to come through, or I'm going to see it, I'm going to feel it, I'm going to know it, I'm going to understand it and be able to define it. That's what hope is. And so when we use hope incorrectly, what happens? We begin to lose hope. Every time we use hope incorrectly, we lose hope. Because it doesn't give us this assurance that we're meant to have. Not only do we expect this thing to happen, but this expectation is a confident one, which really is saying the same thing over and over again. Confident expectation. It isn't just a good chance, it's a certainty that I simply haven't yet fully experienced with my own senses. Remember the words, remember what the shepherds actually said, and, and I don't think it's splitting hairs here. They have not seen Jesus, they haven't seen the stable, they haven't seen the manger, they haven't seen any of that stuff. What do they say though? They say, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. That has happened. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's already taken place. They didn't say that might happen or probably will happen, but has happened. And it's because that kind of hope causes them to move. Faith, hope, and love, church, are inextricably linked. I love the writer of Hebrews. I mean, the very first verse of chapter 11. You ought to read chapter 11. We really want to look at what hope is and faith is. But the very first verse, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not yet see, of what we haven't yet fully experienced. Bottom line is, if I don't have trust in Jesus, I cannot have hope, period. Forget all the inventions that we want to make about hope. If I don't trust Jesus, I don't have hope. And so if I'm hopeless, regardless of what my mouth has said, maybe I need to ask the question, do I even have faith in Jesus Christ? And that's the biggest question you can ask yourself ever in your entire life. So if you haven't asked yourself that question, you need to. To continue our Above verse in 1 Corinthians 13, 12 through 13, for now I see only reflection as in a mirror, 
Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall fully know, even as I am fully known. Verse 13, and now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And why is the greatest love? Because when our faith becomes sight, there is no longer need for hope, this confident expectation. But love remains. So in what do we have hope? What are you allowed to have hope in? Or who are you allowed to have hope in? Again, sometimes we think hope is powerless because we hope in the wrong things. We hope in things that are not guaranteed and were never meant to be guaranteed. If we want to have hope, we hope in that which is guaranteed and that's the promise of God. First thing is this, we can hope in if we accept the invitation of Jesus, God the Son, we are God's family and not His enemies. If you accept the truth of Jesus Christ in your life, you are God's family and you are not his enemy. You see, that's how many people see God. He's just showing up for the bad stuff, right? Some all-powerful distant something that's just there to smite us, just there to make life miserable. You're not a slave. You're a son, you're a daughter. If you've given your life to Jesus. All of this happens through peace. And again, I don't want to go too far in depth in this one. Because we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks. Second thing we can have hope in. And you ought to have hope in. And this is this. If we accept the gift and lordship of Jesus Christ. We receive God, the Holy Spirit in our lives. That is an absolute certainty. And not just receiving the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I don't know. This might be the best hope that we have. This hope, because of the Holy Spirit, we are being renewed by the Spirit day by day and eternally. You can have hope that you are being renewed by the Spirit day by day and eternally. You see, this is the way we think sometimes, and and it causes us to lose hope. We we think that we we, we accept the truth of Jesus Christ, and, and suddenly on that day, all the sin that we have committed... All the things that separate us from God. All the things that make us uncertain about eternity. On that day when we accept Jesus Christ, we go through the marriage ceremony. We go through the baptism. And all of a sudden, we have this beautiful blank canvas, don't we? Like Bob Ross. We're just ready to paint a picture. I watch Bob Ross all the time. I watch Bob Ross all the time because it's like the only thing on television you can be sure is just like an absolute good, right? That's what I do. And he puts you to sleep. I don't know what that's called, but his, his voice, the, everything. that you want, a, you want a nap, watch Bob Ross. And he'll welcome you. Glad, he's going to be glad you joined him. He's going to run the colors across the bottom of the screen that you need to participate with him today. He'll have a standard old 18 by 24 inch stretch canvas, put some liquid clear on it. See, that's, that's what we think, though, is the baptism, that we've covered the canvas with the, with the white. But then tomorrow, we've messed it up again, and we think it's dirtied up again. And then the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that, and all of a sudden, we think, I'm too far behind. I've got to figure out something to catch up, or I've got to redo this thing. Or I've got to re-accept Jesus. You have hope that the Spirit renews you day by day 
First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore we do not lose hope, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. That's probably the greatest hope that there is. Every day you wake up, and I don't know if it has to do with falling asleep or not, probably not, but every day you face, you are brand new. Do you understand that? You don't pile up these sins when you give your life to Jesus. And I really don't think a lot of people understand that. Every day, you're renewed by the Spirit. That ought to cause you every day to just look forward to waking up. Now, I realize you still got to struggle with the things that happened yesterday. You still got to live life. We still live in a fallen world. But you are made new every day. This is debilitating for some people. It saps all hope that they have. And once we have any type of hope or peace taken away, we have joy taken away, then all of a sudden we have a hard time showing love to other people. You are renewed every day. And not only are you renewed every day, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are renewed eternally. We have a new house. An eternal house, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we don't wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. And why? Because that's what we were built for, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Listen to this now. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God and he has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing, there's where your hope comes in, guaranteeing what is to come. So not only are you renewed day by day, not only do you put hope in that, but you can put hope in the fact that you are renewed for all time in a brand new house. I don't know what it looks like, but it's going to be great. We already talked about that. Renewed forever. What else can we have our hope in? And, and, and maybe this is better than the last one. I don't know. I, don't, I probably shouldn't try to rank these things. I like this one. You've heard it before. We know. We have hope. We have confident expectation that in all things God works for the good for those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. That's an incredible hope. That's an incredible hope. See, that's, that's the hope that helps you go from today to tomorrow, even on the worst day. Now, there's a couple of things we need to understand. Number one, we need to understand what good is. Good is God's definition, not ours. We set the bar really, really low for good. Really low. We have to understand what good is. We can go into that later. Number two, it's called according to His purposes, not our own. His purpose is not our own. So everything God does for those who have been called according to His purpose is good in your life. I, I, you know, there's just so many times, and you've experienced this, I know, when your, your, your kids will ask you a question or they'll want to do something or they'll, 
try something. And you'll tell them. I don't want you to do that. That's dangerous. That's bad. That's wrong. That's something. That's not good for you to do. They want it. And you say no. And if you're anything like me, sometimes you know the explanation is too grand for them to understand. Right? Son, if I tried to explain this to you, you would, you, you, you'd be lost. Okay? Look. And then what do we say? Look. Just trust me. Just trust me. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. There are many times in your life God says, look, if I really tried to explain this, your head would explode. Would you just trust me? Just trust me. We expect, when we say that to our kids, we expect them to trust us, don't we? You, me, fallible, messed up, mistake-prone human beings. And we expect them to trust us. God wants us to trust Him. Because it's good and it's right. We can have hope that God is working for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. I want to read this to you. This is just a great example of hope. It's kind of long. Just bear with me. 2 Corinthians 4, 5-18. For what we preach, this is Paul talking, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. He's looking at his own life, what he's doing, and how he brings hope into this, this trusting of God. But Jesus Christ is our Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sakes. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Listen to this. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus Christ, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that His life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It's written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with, with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly, what have we said? We're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, look at this summation of hope. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And how do we do this? Verse 18, we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I don't know how Paul went day after day after day after day doing what he did. That's how. That hope. He knew that he was building himself an eternal glory. And it wasn't a shot in the dark. It was a guarantee in his life and in his mind. And look at all the struggle he says he went through. We're hard-pressed, we're chattered, we're broke, we're this, we're that. But we're not destroyed. 
That's the hope that carries Paul. Same hope that carries you and me. So we have hope that God works for the good of those who love him and been called according to his purpose. And finally, maybe this is the best one. I don't know. We have hope in eternal life. Hope in eternal life. Now, if you're using this wrong, if you're using this wrong, this will foster, to say it that way, will foster uncertainty and it will make you lose hope. What is hope? Confident expectation. We have hope for eternal life. God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son in John 3, 16. Right? You've heard this many times before. That whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Romans 8. We know that the whole creation has been groaning. As in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time, not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. There we go. We are God's family. The redemption of our bodies. There we go. That's being renewed. For in the hope we are saved. In that hope we are saved. In that hope. That trust. That faith. I submit to you that if we call ourselves hopeless, we might as well call ourselves lifeless and unforgiven. In that hope, we are saved. But hope that's seen is no hope at all. Who hopes what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And we've got help. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, I don't know how many times we got to say it, God works for the good of those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that is you, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. There's another family reference. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. Notice, this is in past tense. You don't even know you yet. You've got incredible things to hope for. Those he justified, he's already glorified. This isn't a shot in the dark. This isn't something that might happen. This is something you're going to experience. You're going to realize. And you're going to look, just as Paul does, back on so many momentary problems and trials and troubles in your life. And you'll say, it's worth it. It's worth it. To let perseverance finish its work. So how do I know for sure that I have hope? At least, what's the best indicator? How can I be confident that I have hope? How can I be confident the shepherds had hope? Back to Luke 2 verse 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. So they hurried off. They can sit there and talk about it all night long if they want to. They acted on it. They acted on it. 
They professed one thing. They said one thing. They talked about one thing. They said, let's go see. And they did. They went. We can say that we have hope. We can say that we have joy. We can walk around hating life. I got news for you. There's no hope and there's no joy there. We can say we have hope, we have peace, we have joy. We can walk around refusing to love people around us. I got news for you. There's no joy, no hope, no peace there. They had hope and they acted upon it. That's how you know that they had hope. That's how you know that you have hope. We know what hope is. We know what and who we have hope in. Now it's time to act like it. This is not a personality change, by the way. A lot of people have different personalities. Some are bubbly, some are quiet, some are this, some are that. You know, let's forget about that. It's a character change. It's deeper than that. We serve a God that wants us to have hope. We serve a God that wants us to be joy-filled. But just like joy, often we must wade through the struggle and not give up. That's the exercise that we talked about last week. It wasn't easy for the shepherds to go, but they had the certainty, and so they went. Romans 5, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, what? Hope. Let perseverance finish its work. In the 15th chapter, as he closes, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. I told you these were connected. As you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't use hope incorrectly in your life anymore. Because if you use it incorrectly, it's going to let you down. You have certainty in Jesus Christ. That's why tomorrow is going to throw at you a lot of problems, a lot of difficulties, a lot of issues. And you're going to wade through it. You're going to slog through it as perseverance is finishing its work. And you're going to make it to the next day. And you're going to make it to the one after that. The one after that. You know where that ends up? You know where that leads? You and Jesus face to face. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the love you've given us. And I thank you in that love we have hope that we expect we expect Father that we live eternally with you that we are glorified by you Father help us to be humbled in that but help us to continually hope as that joy overflows in us because of that hope help this time Father to be a hope filled time in Jesus name Amen please stand and sing Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to Joy, repeat the 
about the just the, the, the power of joy from one day to the next. And Father, we know. We know that you've saved our lives. And we know that we will live with you in a, in a, in a state that is just very hard for us to imagine. But Father, in the meantime, there are a lot of days that we really need you to kind of carry us through a lot of this stuff. There's some hard stuff, Father. And we know that you don't hate us, but we know that sometimes these workouts are a little difficult. So help us to remember that we have a destination, that we have an eternity waiting for us. Don't let us give up in the middle of it. Help us to let perseverance finish its work. In Jesus' name, amen. 